West West Show. If you do, you're probably the first sort of artist to come on the podcast and, and, and do a song. <laughs> Sweet, I'd like to be the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah, yeah. if we have time, but like, uh, feel free to ask me whatever you want. And I'm mean, like, you know, mm. anything. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's all good, man. Hey, um, Sharif, man, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. No problem. You know, we were talking before, you just mentioned something about Star, what was it called? Star? Star Now. Star Now, yeah. Can you explain what, what, what that was? Because... For everyone that's listening out there, we're talking about how, you know, I have trouble just doing everything by myself. Eh? <laughs> it's understandable. And StarNow is an online website where you can hire actors, hire videographers, hire other artists of like different sorts. Now, you don't have to be a member to list a job. It's as if you're in Seek. Mm. But the only difference is you just have to pay for a membership to apply for jobs. Right, and it's just the people in the industry, like production industry, like film, TV, music, is it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's even like a lot of Facebook pages. I don't know, like all of them off the top of my head, mm. but I try to research them and I always love to go to places where I meet a lot of other creatives. Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. Because I heard of um, f- uh, Fiverr, because that was one, have you heard that one? No. It's like people around the world, they offer services like doing editing, video editing, or any kind of computer stuff for $5. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and, cool. And you give them the stuff and they go away and they come back and they, they give you the, f- the finished product. Mm. I, I'm the type of person that I like to stick with a small team mm. and I like to get to know people over time and develop a good relationship with them because I think, you know, one of the biggest things as money when it comes to the arts especially when they cut the whole funding did you hear yeah. about that recently no no what happened so basically they're doing like a budget cut with like within the arts sector like that's the new policy that the government has done oh, okay yeah, yeah and yeah it's it's hard to make money out there but eventually you don't do it because of the money you do it because you're passionate about it and there are so many artists out there that i have a lot of respect for they're really creative they're really talented and many of them do their work where it's self-funded. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's who gets affected by that? That's um, New Zealand on air and stuff like that. I think the people who get affected are the artists, because mm. everyone wants to see an artist performing everything. And arts was a very big thing when it came to the COVID lockdown. But it's like no one wants to pay an artist. Yeah. You know what I mean. Because I've had artists on this podcast where they go through New Zealand, yeah, get get funding through that. So that's probably the that's gonna get shut down or something, or or less money going into that organization, I guess, and and flow through to the artists. Like, Fun, funding or no funding, you still have to rely on your own funding as well. Because what if you don't get those grants? They don't give them to just anyone. Mm, mm. So you're a hip hop artist. Um, we, we we're talking about funding and all that, like. How did you, how did you navigate through that? Like, um, 
sort of like you know you want to be artists you, you got some music out there you got some videos out there too um how do you know when to who to apply for when it comes to funding like that or is it just a matter of getting your stuff out there first well it's a mix it's uh putting my stuff out but it's also like you got to think about things like who you got to ask who may be interested mm. and as you experience more projects and everything that's when you be like okay i know who to work with i know who not to work with right and then yeah i mean one of the biggest things i am when it comes to doing my projects transparency everyone knows what they're getting themselves into when they work with me so it's like one of the biggest things is i get asked it's like when i have like strippers or or like you know people who do explicit scenes they're like yeah how are their partners okay with it do they have a partner it's like who cares mm. they're artists and they have a partner who should be okay with that because they're artists yeah and then that's what they do for job anyway. Like, Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's wrong with paying for some services that they do? Mm. You, you, you get the idea? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how does this all start for you? Like to know what you want when it comes to your art, your music. Like when I watched your video and you had that... um, Which one? Dancer. The, you're the exotic dancer in your, in your video. The most recent one? Uh, I think it was, was I pr- um, just under a year ago, I think. Just under a year ago. Yeah, I think it was. What was that? Like, could you describe the video? There's a lot. I know they're very similar, but... Because I went through all your YouTube stuff. So the the beginning, you've got the battle rap stuff. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Doing the and then you start doing some some music videos. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think it's when... It's the first time you, you, you get a dancer on. Oh, uh, yeah. When I started to do that stuff, I started to do that sort of content maybe 2021 plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2021, 2022. Yeah, that's when I started to do that stuff. You know when we went through that six-month lockdown? Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest things I relied on to get by because there was nothing else to do. I would go I would go to work. I would smoke up. I would, I would drink like, you know, 40s. And that was the highlight. And I was like, that's when I would make my music. That, that's when I was like, my mental health was at a place where it was not the best. And... I don't think anyone's mental health was at the best when it came to COVID. Mm. So that's when I started to be motivated to push through on my music. But I started to make like, you know, sexual music and everything. Because what else do you think about when you're drunk? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or when you're or when you're high. Yeah. <laughs> what was the sort of um, reaction you got when you, when you first put that out there? How did that work out for you? Well, you know, you get a lot of mixed reactions and everything. Mm. One of the, like... I always get get like the old arc. Can I have her number and all that? I'm like, bro, I'm not. That's gonna make me look unprofessional as hell. I'm not gonna do that. Mm. And it's like I'd have people be like, you know, you shouldn't be portraying women in this sort of way. But it's like, you know, the way that I talk in music, you know, that's not how you talk in everyday life. Like these kind of songs, you talk about the sort of stuff in the bedroom. Mm. You don't talk like that to someone in everyday life. Hell no. Mm. And it's like. You even you even get people who have like, you know, you should do music like this, you should do music like this. I think through every stage of a musician's journey, there's always a phase. Mm. I went through that phase and my most re- recent music video, like I think that was the last music video I did where I am going to stop doing that. You know what I mean? I want to yeah. move on to more serious stuff, talking about the hood, talking about like, you know, where I'm from, talking about more serious stuff, but also... 
using less strippers but more modeling and all that to make it more mainstream all right right because i i kind of just wanted to keep the music about me when you do it because you know how when you hear music in the hood it's a little bit different than what you hear in the radio yeah yeah that's the thing i wanted to talk to you about that phase you're in of getting an exotic dancer in because you don't never you don't really see that much especially in new zealand hip-hop you know Mm. what i mean maybe in um america and underground stuff definitely america you know there's a big influence you know but i don't think you know, especially being a Pacific Islander, you know, we'll get in trouble if we have <laughs> and a stripper now videos, you know, like talking. In my culture, I'm Egyptian. Mm. Okay. Even that's, that stuff is really looked down upon. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. you think in the Pacific, the stuff is looked down upon. Go to like countries where the, the leading religion there is Islam. See how conservative they are. Mm. It's like, it's very understandable. And I think I came about that phase. And I think the reason I started doing that sort of stuff is because I'm not really for the whole censorship thing yeah. where you have to take out the swearing, where you have to do this, where you have to do that, because it's like we're not appealing to our parents. We're appealing to people our age right. or people who think like us. Right. Because I, I guess the, there's a certain truth to it, eh? Oh, hell yeah. Like, you know, you say, you know, what do you think you're thinking about when you're, when you're drunk? Hell yeah. Like, sex is like one of the things, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I was like, everything about my music, there's always a part of the truth in there that's part of my life. The rest is for creativity. So. Yeah, bro. You're going to do this. How how did you get across the line? Like, get the dancer, get the get the crew and all that? Honestly, asking people around, mm. networking, meeting new people. Mm. That's literally it. That's all you got to do. All you got to know, like with these sorts of situations, there's always someone willing to do that stuff for the right price. And that's what. This is when it comes to doing a project. Everyone has their services. Everyone has a price to do it. Mm. Not everyone necessarily wants money, for example, but like if someone likes the work that you do, if someone sees potential in the project they put out, they're willing to do it. Right. And that's when they're being, that's where we were talking about before the podcast, how passion and hobby makes a difference because if you're passionate about something, you'll do something because you love it. If it's a hobby, you'll do something because you like it. But when it's a hobby, you're only going to like it. You're not really going to go to the lengths of actually following through. Did you get any um, negative reaction to oh, that kind of stuff? Yeah. And what were they saying? Well, you know, people who I don't, who I have problems with outside of my craft and everything, mm. they're just going to start associating that song with who I am outside of it. But it's like, as well, then you see people who are like, I don't like this is the way you talk about women. This is the way you do this. This is the way you do that. I'm like, if you guys are willing to let Tupac and Biggie and all the NWA rappers and the 90s rappers Mm. get away with that, how come I can't? Because this is personal. A lot of the time, if someone hates you because of the stuff you make, it's because it's personal. They don't have to like the stuff you do, but it doesn't mean they have to be a dick to you outside. And that's how you know it's personal. Mm. And that's probably the, what happens when you're a true artist. You're putting out there your reflection of what you believe or what you think things should be or what you think is... It's something that's a part of you, eh? Oh, hell yeah. You know, and and, and it's always um subjective. Like, in the paper last week, there was a um, Samoan guy who painted a painting of Jesus. He had a um, Samoan um, tattoo. And he got loads of reaction about that. Like, you can't do that. A lot that. of hate. A lot of hate about that. You can't do that. He's not a Samoan, blah, blah, blah. How, they, how can you do that to... Jesus wasn't also blonde hair and blue eyes either. He wasn't white. Right. And he's from your area. Up in Egypt, around there. So. Uh, Nazareth, Palestine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, there wasn't any white people there, bro. Mm. 
But you see, it's like it's like even I'm a Muslim, right? We don't have pictures of our prophet. Like we're not allowed to have pictures of our prophet. Is that why I don't see any pictures of um, the yeah, prophet? <laughs> pretty much. I mean, think about it. It's like people are always going to try to find a way to defile the name and everything. Mm. And it's like we already have mosques. We already we already have ways of worshiping and everything. And all that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a human too. So I, I've done stuff that's blasphemous technically. Like I have Allah's name tattooed onto me. Mm. Like uh, technically you shouldn't be doing that. But it's like, again, it's about a freedom of expression. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the difference between like, let's say in this sense, beliefs and then the believers. Mm. And, and it's the same case. You've got to separate the art from the artist. You're right. You're right. Because you'll get a lot of hate for that. Eh? That tattoo. Hey. I mean, I've got a lot of hate for a lot of tattoos I've gotten. Mm. I mean, like, for example, I've got like a mix between like Samoan and Tongan tattoos. Yeah. But all of them tell a story and they are always mixed with Egyptian patterns. One thing I don't do, let's say, with tattoos when it comes to draw the line, I wouldn't get it traditionally done from that culture because then that would be disrespectful because I'm not part of that. Mm. That's why you get something that's influenced from it. And there's always boundaries and places you've got to draw the line. Everyone has different places to draw the line. This is where I draw mine. So how do you know what to have on your on your body then when it comes to that kind of thing? I always think about a story. I always think yeah. about like the sentimental value I have. Not, peop- not many people uh, think about creativity and all that or the sentimental stuff that comes on. A lot of people just do it because they look cool. I do it mainly because these tattoos tell a story. Mm-hmm. I, even, yeah, I even did this one. So that's the eagle? Yeah, falcon eagle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, resembles the Egyptian god Horus. Right, right. So yeah, mm. I mean, I mean, um, even here, like I used to have a tattoo on this arm, but I blacked it out. Oh, it's covered. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was something I did in myself. Now it was supposed to be a cultural symbol, like the swastika, and I was trying to do this thing where you reclaim your culture and you reclaim you reclaim the symbol a little bit just so racist people can't use it against you anymore. Do you know what I mean? Explain that again, because I know the swastika is not originated in, in, in Nazi Germany. It wasn't, that wasn't the original. Everyone used to use it. Yeah. Even, the, even the Native Americans used to use it before World War II. Because mm. I've seen that in the um, hieroglyphics. Mm. The, hey. Like with the Coptic church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's, it's an old symbol. It's been around for long years, or oh, centuries, you know? Centuries, hell yeah. yeah. The whole point of bringing it back was like to reclaim it and use it against the white people who use it against us, not in a genocidal racist way, but like, you know, I'm black, right? Like from Africa, I've got a lot of mixed blood as well. Mm. You know, you know how like black people reclaim the word nigger after it was used against them? It was supposed to be that sort of thing too. But the difference was bring it in a context in New Zealand, people either think you're a skinhead or a mongrel mob and I don't look like a skinhead. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, I had to cover it up and I started to see that even the people who originally had it, like uh, the Hindus and the Buddhists, they no longer have that symbol because they realize that the world isn't going to see it like that anymore. Because it wasn't, All right. when I got it, it wasn't even curved. Like, you know how it was tilted to the side? Yeah. My one was straight. It's straight, eh? Yeah, yeah, that's the one I've seen. Oh. Yeah. So, so the Nazis fucked you guys, eh? <laughs> yeah, another thing white people took from us, eh, bro? <laughs> <laughs> so how do, how, do we, how do we reclaim that back then? For me, like it's you know Hitler, he he fucking just ruined it. You know that that swastika symbol is a symbol of hate, symbol you, of you know. The idea is you don't. P- 
part of that part of me reclaiming that at the time came from self-hate when you imagine the negative things that are associated with your culture for example right hmm. you're always going to claim these things if you if you have problem loving yourself as a person and if you don't know too much about your heritage because when you don't know too much about your heritage you start claiming the negative things about you and saying no this makes us unique no it doesn't this makes us toxic and one of my family members helped me see that so i decided to cover it up and yeah cuz cuz right. it's always going to have the meaning but people don't have to see it but it didn't really change my everyday life that much. I used to work for charities and do that stuff. Like, you know, the people sign you up? Yeah. And I used to get peeps of people to sign up and everything, despite the amount of side eyes I got, despite the amount of confrontations. Oh, uh, yeah. Are you the guys on the street asking for signatures? and that? Yeah. Uh, I was. <laughs> Hated those guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were there, I'd make you love me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's really interesting, eh? Like, what were we talking about? So you you you've been back to your country Egypt since you were fifteen. That's right. Yeah. So you and your whole family moved over for for new life. And Pretty much. Yeah. I think it's just like they came for a better education to get more work to get more opportunities. Mm. We've faced a lot of discrimination, everything, and a lot of horrible things. You know, in my everyday life, I faced a lot of that. But yeah, I made sure to represent my culture proudly and everything. Yeah, I remember like. You know, when I asked you, when you told me where you're from, first thing that came to mind is Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. <laughs> because he, he, he went to Cairo. And that was the first time I was a kid when I saw Cairo yeah, yeah. In, in the film. And mm. I was like, man, man, that's a cool place, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. And like the Super Scorpion King. And yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that was later on in my life. That. Yeah, no, I get that. The mummy. Yeah, mm. yeah. See, see that, that that's a funny thing about um, Egypt. Mm. Mo- see, like uh, among North Africans, Egypt especially, it's like we're too light skinned to be black, we're too dark skinned to be Arab. Right, right. So it's like, and it's like I think this came from the appropriation of Egyptian culture in Hollywood, because mm. Hollywood made uh, Egyptians look like a bunch of white guys. They, right. It's yeah. the same way they got Marlon Brando to play that Chinese guy in the fifties. Mm. You know Marlon Brando? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they got him to play a Chinese guy. Let that sink in, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think they made um, what's his name, John Wayne play a Indian guy, or maybe, maybe I don't know. But Hollywood was real racist those days. They got a movie where they got a white guy to put on blackface. And <laughs> do you remember uh, that? Yeah. You remember that movie? It's it's based in one of the wars. I totally forgot its name. Oh, it's a recent one, eh? It's um, what do you call it? Fuck, it's um, it's Ben Stiller's movie. <laughs> And then in Vietnam, there's Iron Man. He's the guy. Robert Downey Jr. Robert da- oh, my God. <laughs> they, they let people get away with a lot in Hollywood sometimes. Yeah, but, but that wasn't even long ago. And now times have changed. Like they're, they're trying to make up for a lot of things with, with diversity and stuff you see in the films now. And these days, you know. Like I saw that they've got a new series on TV On Demand, a prequel to, um, to Greece. Oh my god! The pink ladies and that, and um, everything is, everything is there, like the choreography and the singing, uh, and uh, stuff uh, like that. Is that because some of the songs uh, were questionable a little bit? I don't know, but if you wa- if you watch it, you'll see a whole lot of shades of skin color in that in that in, in that film now, you know. And <laughs> you would never see it 
and the original and the original movie yeah <laughs> that's the thing it's like trying to put diversity in films to overcompensate for your past of ignorance is not a good look to me well it's 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 obvious a lot of it's obvious now you know yeah it's like no it's just like do what you have to do but you know don't act like you're not doing it yeah yeah because i'd rather someone be hateful and honest about it so you can see them coming than mm. someone who's super nice but then does in the back yeah then that's how you get like the Christchurch shooter. You know, many people like he seemed like a really nice sociable guy, sociable to the point where he wasn't supposed to get a gun license and the people who registered it to him shouldn't have done it in the first place mm. and that was revealed after the shooting. You know, that th- these are the kind of people you should watch out for. It's always the people who are really nice, but the people who who um, have weird actions behind closed doors. Mm. You're never going to find these people in the first go, but these are the people that are really dangerous, not the ones that are overly racist in public. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I always had... Because, you know, th- this conversation, we're talking about the that guy. Like, I, I connected to um, the fault of um, of cancel culture. Because if you, if you cancel too many racist people, then they go underground and you get people like that guy. The problem with cancel culture is that it's incredibly selective. Yeah, and the, that's the other thing, you know. Yeah, Can, mm. cancel culture is dangerous because it's like you're going to cancel someone for saying something, but you're not going to cancel this guy even though he did all these things. Yeah, y- you see what I mean? Yeah, and and a lot of the time they use cancel culture towards people of color too. You know, there's so many artists out there. It's like. They've been famous for a while, then they get cancelled because of one tiny thing they say. Yeah, does that happen to you? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you deal with that? We just move on. Move on because no one's going to stop you from creating. The way that I see it is people will believe what they want to believe. They're not interested in the truth. They're interested in their truth. If something, like for example, I've been saying the truth about other people in certain videos of mine ages ago, right? They get resurfaced and people like, what? Where's the proof? Where's this? Where's that? And it's like, you're going to believe what you believe because you weren't there. But, you know, if it doesn't fit in the narrative, of course they're not going to believe it. You see what I mean? Let's say with R. Kelly. That's with R. Kelly. Like, he was an awful person. But the people who I think really need to go to jail are the people who are enabling him. You know, the people who knew about it and did nothing. Because he wouldn't have done what he did. He shouldn't be, and I'm not justifying it. He wouldn't have done what he did, and he would have been held accountable from the beginning. So he doesn't do that shit again. But because he wasn't held accountable, and like even the victim's families chose to take his money to keep quiet, he just did it again and again and again. See, this is where cancel culture should lie in. People don't even know where to apply cancel culture. You know, it was like... um. YMW Melly, right? He ki- he killed two people, right? Like two of his friends. This is a time you should put ca- cancel culture in because like this guy killed his homies. He's He deserves to be under the jail. Love his music, don't get me wrong. Murder on my mind, mo- mixed personalities, but <laughs> that nigga deserves to be in jail. Yeah. <laughs> under the jail, my G. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and, and that was funny with the R. Kelly thing, like you mentioned, because after all that story came out, like you should see the boycotts of his music and all that kind of stuff like never gonna listen to his music again 
man, his music is one of the bangers, man. Like, it's, it's his, he's a musical genius. In a less, in a less extreme ex- um, extent, do you remember Millie Vanilli? Yeah. yeah. But you know why they got cancelled, of course? Yeah, because they weren't even singing. Yeah, but you see, a lot of people don't realize they weren't allowed to write their own music in their contract because of their accents. Mm. They even tried to, but they weren't allowed. It turned out that they could sing, and they actually did their own albums, but one of them OD'd before it came out. Yeah. But it turned out these guys were really good singers, and it's like they were used as a scapegoat by their own record label because even that, that was a common practice in the industry. But it was the people who performed on stage and saw the like and fucked up the backing track and everything, and that's yeah. when you were able to tell okay, those guys are there, but it's like none of them wanted to take any responsibility and then they end up being cancelled. And that's why I believe cancel culture is very selective. And, and the way, well, way of how things happen for for many Vanilli is, uh, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, artists mime all the time in, in, in live concerts. Oh, yeah. Because you can't really dance and sing at the same time. You know, it's, it's really hard for some, for some artists there. Eh? So yeah. you need to have the the music playing in the background and you just mime it. And why do you think they have backup dancers? Yeah. <laughs> the only one who is better than his backup dancers is Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's it's mainly the performers who have better backup dancers, but Michael Jackson is better than all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? When I come back to the Arcadia thing, yeah, he did what he did and he's an asshole. You know, he should be, he should be killed. But his music still, like to me, I, I love, I love this music. Oh yeah. But I separate his personality from from what he created in his art you know separate the art from the artist yeah, yeah separate the art from the artist exactly and you know I, I even believe I even believe that Michael Jackson you know he did what he did too oh really yeah I believe he did what he did but I'm gonna separate the artist from the from what he did you know it's a very interesting thing about Michael Jackson because you see every, he's just too powerful everyone who was saying that about Michael Jackson mm. when they died everyone was like oh I love Michael Jackson he's my hero it's like <laughs> I've looked at some people like, motherfucker, you sit, you made all those pedophile jokes about him last week. <laughs> Do you believe it did it? I believe he did it. I believe he's a pedophile. I'm not going to say, I think personally, you can't prove what he did, but it doesn't mean, just because he's not guilty by the courts, doesn't mm. mean he's not guilty. Because you see it, man. You see it. You see how he acted when he's, he's fucking 50 years old. He still acts like a... A child, you know, he's like doing these weird, crazy things, you know. He's got this never, never ranch, and he has all these kids over sleeping over there. And it's like, fuck, like, can't you see what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love his music, love his music. They just loved his music too much, maybe. Yeah, oh, yeah, and he's and he's and, and he's powerful, you know. He's he's not he's the, he doesn't have R. Kelly's money, he's you know, R. Kelly's here, he's and Mark Jackson's up here, you know. <laughs> He's 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 that much powerful. No one even cares, you know. Even then, I think uh, I think it's always like you know the families of the victims that especially ruin it because it's like you guys are taking their money to keep quiet. You guys deserve to be in jail more than anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there's heaps of crap shit out there, eh? you know. Yeah, mm. I mean, I mean. I think the question for me is, let's say they do get held accountable, should they be forgiven in society? But like, the question I was asking before, because if you guys haven't seen it, watch BoJack Horseman. Have you seen BoJack Horseman? I know, like the cartoon. Eh? Yeah, I haven't seen it though. Yeah, but but you see BoJack Horseman, it's about this guy who was a old school uh, kids show actor. 
but then out in the world he's just washed up and he's been he's a husband mm-hmm. and it's like it talks about like you know artist struggle and it's like he himself got cancelled and everything and went through all sorts of these horrible things mm. for things he actually did do of course and i always like wonder when should someone be forgiven for doing something because because it's like it's hard to forgive someone and it's like but have they been held accountable? Will they do it again? Are they high risk? Well, there needs to be some form of uh, redemption along the way in, in their journey of to make things right. You know, like that, that's another thing that cancel culture is, is doing because it doesn't matter what you said 10 years ago. They'll bring it up in like Kevin Hart. He, he got offered to host the Oscars, right? But then some social justice person dug up a, a joke he said 10 years ago about gays he had a joke about gays mm. that's a sorry you can't do the oscars wow see see this do you know what pink washing is no what's it pink washing your racism basically it's basically being racist but using homosexuality as your cover so i support gay rights i don't like black people i support trans rights i don't think these people should have a passport here for example well, that's a good example of what's happening now with the LGBTQ plus or whatever. I, I can't keep up with the, the thing. But, you know, like, women's rights, right? Yeah. And then where's the women's rights for that with the athlete mm. when they have um, transgender women playing in the in the women's category when they completely dominate that particular sport or whatever it is? Where's the um, fairness in that? You know, and you get... I, you, I agree. Then you get women speaking up and then they get shut down because they're of their hate speech against transgender women. Yeah, and it's like, and that's the thing. Like, this is the funniest thing I've noticed. It's like, see, different cultures have different concepts and identities of what genders are. Mm. Okay, Samoan culture, they have a fafafine. Yeah. Which often gets labeled as transgender, right? But then they have their own label to it. Which which only translates to transgender because we're in the West. Every there's many cultures where there's different genders, but it's like you mainly see the white people in the LGBTQ community who appropriate that, then say, "Nah, I'm this, I'm this," and then I'm offended if you don't call me this. Well, the, the problem I see is that you know you put in that category, the LGBT category, yeah. and that's it. There's no middle ground. There's no because I'm sure there's going to be like thousands of, of transgenders that disagree about this whole, whole thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and that's the thing. It's like, you guys should be thankful you're in the West and you're able to practice this. Come to Africa, come to Middle East, come to South America and many places like this. You'll get slaughtered for, do, for doing that sort of stuff. And it's mm. not a good thing, by the way. Mm. But it's like, you know, you guys. You guys want to criticize other countries for making these laws. It's like they make these laws because if people do this sort of stuff openly, they can get killed. Mm. Like you see a lot of extreme examples. Even America, they do it really bad. And it's really crazy there. Mm. Have you been over there? Hell no. no. But you see the news. <laughs> yeah. You see what they do. It's like, you know, the Whisperer Church, mm. all these weird church groups that torture and kill people yeah. and like, you know, traffic kids. Like you've seen those ones in documentaries, but this man, this LGBTQ fuck, I don't know, thing, man, that's it's crazy. It's crazy because you know, I I believe in 
in fairness, right? Hell yeah. And of course, there's going to be unfair circumstances. Hell yeah. But I don't want to put every single LGBTQ in that category because everyone's different. Even, yeah. yeah. you know, like say Samoans, right? Mm. Well, there's going to be Samoans that support Trump. There's going to be Samoans that support Ardern or Samoans that support National, Samoans that support Labour. We're not all one. Hell yeah. We're different people with different beliefs. So how do you how do you sort that out? Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Just like like you know, we 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 we've got this podcast called Empty Out the Clip, and we we were talking about the story that came out how 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 Sonny Bill Williams he posted a, he retweeted a tweet from a, a gay person who was glad that they didn't go through a transition process when they were a teenager. No, she was eleven. No, um, I, I know who you were talking about. Yeah. To be honest, with that thing. With that thing, this is where the hypocrisy from the right wing comes in. Mm. You're not supposed to have transition. Even people in the LGBTQ community, they don't agree with, well, I wouldn't say all of them, but majority of them I'm sure wouldn't agree to have a transition surgery by the time you're 10 because it's dangerous. Yeah, that's right. Most of the time they come out and they do this stuff when they're adults. Mm. Like if you're an adult, you want to do that, fine. You want to do that, fine, but I don't think it's good that kids do that. But I don't think kids would want to do that because they're kids. They don't think about that sort of stuff unless adults tell them to. So I was pretty shocked by that story because I didn't even know they were doing it that young. Like, I was what? Are you serious? What? But when you're a kid, you go through all sorts of phases. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you can't, I'm sure you've met like, you know, that one hot chick who gets with a girl in her high school days to try and explore her uni days, but then she's completely straight afterwards, mm. as an example. Or even like, you know, these rich North Shore parties where the guys do weird stuff behind the rugby clubs and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You always hear these sort of stories, but it's like, this is what exploration is. I don't think people should be given a label. Yeah, that yeah, that's right. It's all that identity politics kind of stuff. That If you don't, sort, if you don't filter things out, if you don't sort it out, like... Like yeah. you're you're putting a whole bunch of beliefs in one thing, which doesn't necessarily be that one belief. You know, it's like a gang sort of thing. Like you know, when we talked about that, uh, I told you about that that topic. Which what was Sunny Bill? The, yeah, the Sunny Bill topic. I, mm. I posted that up, and I got some hate. We we got some hate from people who who said, "Oh man, you know how many LGBT uh, community suicide? You uh, hate that's hate. You know, I'm not gonna you know, that that kind of stuff." But I'm like, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. It's not the everybody. It's just a few people that I don't like. That's why I don't agree with. Like, I don't. If if someone came up to me and said, you know, if if my son, and this is what we said, this is what we said. If I was, if my son came up to me at yeah. ten years old and said they want to transition, I'd be like, oh look, son, you know, you're young. Let's wait till you're older. You'll probably change your mind. You know, it's. You know, it's too young. It's too young to be doing this, right? Yeah, no, no, that that is way too young. If if my son did that, I'm like. I'm like I don't, like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't care what you associate yourself with. That's none of my business, because you know you can't stop your kid from doing anything they want. Yeah. But no, I'm not gonna agree to a transition surgery at ten. That's dangerous. Yeah, exactly. They can die. Exactly, and it's not like we're supporting them. We're supporting them by doing that. And as parents, you know, we've got a right to, you know, to sort our kids out on that age. Exactly. You know? But we support them like young okay, age. Let's go through, let's go through the missions that turn twenty one, twenty five. They still feel like that. They want to transition. Oh, fine, support them because that's good enough age to know what you're doing. Yeah. And like, but then it's, it feels like to me, like at the stage where my son comes up to me when he's ten, and we have that conversation. 
and I say no, I get the hate from that that moment. Yeah, but you get the hate from your son mainly because your son is angry and doesn't know what he wants because he's he's a kid. Yeah, and then I hear in the background everybody saying that's wrong, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You don't need other people's permission to raise your son the way you need to. Exactly. Because uh, because exactly. so where did, where's that narrative gone now? See that that's the thing. You always get people extreme in the left. And by the way, people who are extreme in the left are just as bad as people who are extreme in the right. They they too are racist. They too are prejudiced. And they too are only selective with who they try to cancel. Let's be honest there. No, that, that's true. That's true. And that, 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 and that comes back to the point of you're putting all these people in one category where all these people have different, you know, they, have, they think differently. Exactly. It's like, do you remember when Tupac started making, you know, music that was very controversial? Only when he started at the same bad boy. <laughs> but you see, everyone everyone hated his music, saying it's misogynistic, it's this, it's that. But the people who were speaking out against him were people who were public figures, therefore entertainers. Because public figures, uh, politicians, talk show hosts, they are entertainers in the end of the day, and they do what they have to do to get views. But it's like one of the biggest things that made all the you know hate speech incite violence towards other black people. Mm was, you know, them associating someone's music with who they are as a person. But it's like, why does this person make that sort of music? What kind of ideology does he come back from? You know, it's, it's really sad. It's like uh, King Von, right? Or, or let's say drill music in general. Like, um, going to a different example within the music context, a lot of people hate on drill music. And it's like, okay, you guys listen to Tupac, you guys listen to Biggie. They do drill stuff basically too, because the kind of lyrics they're spitting. You guys are just angry that new people are doing it, but they're doing it in their own context. Why? It's like you're saying this is a bad example for the kids, but you and I both know, you know, as well as each other, that kids will do whatever they want to do. That's what the whole point of being rebellious is as a kid. Even I was rebellious and I did stupid shit. It's natural too for older people to reject the new new stuff coming up. It's it's just human nature, I think. You know, the new always comes up and overcomes the old. You know, and the old are always like me. Like I get conservative sometimes when people when things I'm not used to change. And man, we, you know all those all things people say. Back in my day, we never did that. You know that kind of stuff. You know, but it's, that's a natural. That's a natural a, response. That's a natural thing. Yeah. And I think the one place to draw the line with that as a human being is like. Okay, so the way I draw the line with it, you know, I know that I'm always looked at like differently by people. I've gone through racism, I've gone through discrimination, you know, I've had like people so intimidated of me. And on top of that, a lot of like my struggles, I've learned that like, you know, you accept my differences, I'll accept yours, but do not force me to do anything I don't want to do. I won't force you to do anything you don't want to do. And that's what the way you should be. Exactly. It's like, but it's not. People want to speak out and, you know, be righteous, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's just a strange, strange world now. I don't know if it's because of the internet or or if you listen to what Jordan Peterson, he talks about. It comes from a much deeper place, you know. But it's it's weird, eh? Like, you can't really say too much now. Without you, everyone, I think, like, when you're on social media, you always need someone to look up to a little bit. Same way we look up to artists okay it's like these andrew andrew tate videos that come along yeah it's like everyone's getting triggered but everyone's taking his stuff too seriously the people who like him and it's like this guy 
this guy acts like a fuckwit and can say anything and you guys are going to clap and believe it. Mm. It's like, why do these videos come along? Why? It's like, the, like we could be listening to music. We could be listening to this. It's like, we're on social media to enjoy ourselves. We're not on social media to, you know, preach hate or speak out against certain people because you guys can do that with one another face to face. But the new generation likes to hide behind the keyboard, bro. I think that's why people like Andrew Tate uh, are popular, you know, with all their likes and all their their followers. Because we live in an age where you can't really say much. You can't really say anything because you get all this reaction, right? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. It gets cancel culture. So you need a mouthpiece, right? Because people are, say, are scared to say things. They agree with what Andrew Tate says because he's saying it for them. Because, yeah. you know, you say it because I, can't, I don't want to say it because I don't want to be... I want. I don't want to get the backlash. I don't want to get the backlash. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing with guys like in New Zealand, like um, Stephen Settle. You know them. Like he's. He no, does I don't a, know. He's he's on social media a lot, and he sort of does the same thing. Like he he spits all this. Um, he he rants about stuff on social media. Probably why I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, but he gets a, a lot of followers, you know. And I think it's because he gets the followers. They want to hear him talk shit, so they can give him shit, right? Or they're following him because they agree with what he said, but they're too scared to say it. <laughs> At the end of the day, bro, you know, it's easy. All right, is it working now? Yeah. All right. It's easy to get views off controversy. I went down that route when I used to go down as the compressor. Okay, well, this is when I was doing battle rap. I even collabed with Boom Bullet, you know, just to be a lot more controversial. Yeah. I've even, I even like uh, did a guy called... Like, not ugh, jeez. I even did a song called Bangkok with a guy um, named D Malik, right? And at the time, it was getting a lot of views and fa like famous on uh, Facebook and everything when Instagram wasn't that much of a thing at the time. Mm. And it was like everyone's saying this is the most degrading lyrics to women and everything. And it's like majority of the people who were hating on me were mainly people who had personal problems with me pushing out that agenda that I'm racist, that I'm sexist. And like, they don't even know me. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, it was like, I think anyone can be controversial. I've been controversial and I've done that. But, you know, how many people are actually going to watch your stuff and be like, you know, this guy makes decent content. Because mm. a lot of these people who resort, to, who resort to controversy, and I'm speaking out of experience too, they don't actually... Believe what they say? They don't believe what they're saying. On top of that, they're not about it. When you see them face to face, and I've met many people like that, mm. you know, losers. So you're you're saying you you did it. So how did you get? How did you re realize what you're doing? You was wrong. Was wrong, and you were being controversial on purpose and not believing what you're saying. Well, because when you're doing stuff for views, you're doing it for right. fun. I was in uni. I was doing this stuff for fun. Right. You know, I wasn't trying to beef with anyone. I wasn't trying to get into problems with people. You know, but. When I wanted to actually take my music seriously after music, I had to stop with that. And that's why I changed my name as Heretic. Because it's like, I want to be, I want to be authentic. I want to get authentic viewers. You know, the viewers that you get on social media are fake, by the way. It's not the thousand of people who, you know, go past your video and click like. Mm. It's the 10 people that, you know, like your stuff and will like it again and again and again and again and again. Mm. Because these are the people that actually go out to perform. Like me personally, I want to be known as an artist. I don't want to be known as this one TikTok guy or this one um, entertainer. And like, let's say with Boom Bullet, right? 
a lot of Boom Bullet's content, like with him doing the going the funny route, it was funny in the beginning and it was cool, you know. But it started to get old. But there was one time he did a song where he was in Samoa, where he was like rapping in Samoan, and he could rap in Samoan. Yeah. And it's like, bro, do that. You know what I mean? Because mm. I want to be known for the good stuff I do. I don't want to be known for my controversy. Anyone who wants to confront me in my controversy can confront me face to face. But was it controversy at the time? I know you're saying it wasn't you, but it must have been how you felt. Eh? It must have been about how you how you felt at the time to be. Well, what was the example of you being controversial and and some of your your lyrics back then? Well, some of the some of the lyrics uh, that I spit in battle rap, for example, um, oh, battle rap is different, right? You gotta like put down your opponent. So you got to say all sorts of shit, right? But you see, with battle rap, people take it too seriously. It's part of the reason I left battle rap, because it's like... Is that a New Zealand thing? Eh? Is that a New Zealand thing, that we take battle rap too seriously? It's not even that. It's You take it outside of battle rap, and it's like... Even battle rap in general. Most battle rappers are not rappers. They're battle rappers. It's two, diff- it's two different crafts. Mm. You see what I mean? Because if you're a battle rapper... You know, all you have to do is spit insults at people. It's easy to spit insults at people. You know, I've done it, and I've had plenty of battle rap. Um, look, I've had plenty of battles. Sorry, just... Yeah. Like, you know, I've battled uh, one-outs. I've battled one-outs Wellington and Cap... And like when it, now it's called Capital Battle Leagues. I've battled in the Red Zone, which is in Christchurch. I've battled in 5150, mm. back-to-back, um, BTG, close another one um sulfur city so it's like you know i've seen it all before and everything one of the hardest things to do as an artist is to be vulnerable is to spit about who you are because being you being authentic being your authentic self is a completely different thing mm. this was something it was fun when i was in uni but like a perfect example um some of my um lyrics was really fucked up in that song of bangkok bangkok all right yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought I heard knocking. I was like, let's tone it up a little. This baby that I arouse. I was like, something that is something I can't allow. I was like, um, there's there's one of the lines where I use like, eat you out for breakfast and all that. <laughs> it was such a long time ago. It's like, you yeah. know, saying, stu- saying stuff that's cringy like that, but mm. cringy for reaction. Right. But, but you see what I mean? It's like, this is just a funny way of talking, but it's like... Mm. I was kind of go, trying to go down the route of Weird Al Yankovic. Right. Yeah, I was like trying to do funny stuff at the time to get more views, but that stuff got old. Eventually, I wanted to do my own thing. Hmm. And I did what I had to do to get views, but, you know, that sort of life means nothing to me now. That's why I go by Heretic and try to do a different thing. Hmm. Reminds me of when Eminem first came out because he was sort of like fun. Hey, that, that My Name Is song, his first song that came out. No, when he was un- underground. It was different when he was underground. Yeah. And then he went down that funny route. It's the same thing as Jackie Chan, for example. That guy used to be a porn star. You know that, eh? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a he was an adult film actor. Oh, really? Then he went <laughs> then he went into movies and all that. And mm. he did his own stunts. But when he went to Hollywood, his stuff in Hollywood is nowhere near as good as the stuff he did in China. I'm not talking about his adult films. I'm talking about his actual films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you see what I mean? If you watch his like stuff that he made in the nineties, it is way better than stuff he made in uh, Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I remember Police Story and all those, all those movies. Um, City Hunter, The Drunken Master, and all that, all those stuff. Those are cool. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
But you see, but you see, like he came from like Chinese culture. Chinese sense of humor is way different than American sense of humor. So you gotta water it down a little bit for that audience to understand.、Mm. That's that's even why they do an English dub where the movie's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, with hip hop, especially New Zealand hip hop, like it's cool that New Zealand has their own style compared、mm-hmm. to the rest of the world. You know? Like, oh yeah. Like we've, I think we've managed to evolve it、eh, and to have our own like Kiwi, Kiwi kind of style.、Mm. You know, when I think of NWA and、uh, watch the NWA、uh, movie when they first came out, like, it's amazing to me how, you know, these kids from high school they just come together, you know, to make a song. They do, you know, they they start rapping. Yeah. And it's controversial as well with the fuck the police, the fuck the police song, and it just exploded. You know, it just started a. The subculture of hip hop at the west in the west coast, they、eh, with、like、the gangster rap, with, with the gangster rap, you know, and that just blew up, it just blew up, and you know when I watched that movie, and I just you got to remember, I had to remind myself these are just high school kids, you know, just doing their thing, and next minute, look how big they, big they became, and even now, you know, you just they they started that they started the culture, right, and you just think, man, how it just looks so easy. It looks easy, but the hardest thing is being about that life. Because、mm. when you go out into the world, that's what people are gonna associate you with, whether you like it or not.、Mm. You know, it's like you got to be able to carry yourself with what you say too. Because I learned, I learned like you know from the controversial days, you don't carry yourself with what you say. Then what you say means nothing. And then, and then, I don't know if you've seen that movie C before. See, see before it's a it's a it's a it's a comedy, starring Chris Rock. Oh my god! It's an old school it's an old school movie, but they make fun of NWA. But see, I don't know what the story is, but in see before they make fun of NWA, but、okay. they make it look like they're not from the hood; they're just from a nice neighborhood. So I'm thinking, oh, are they making fun of them because it's true, or see, that's but, their version of it? But that but that's the thing, you know. It's like. If you look at Friday, Friday is a perfect example of everyday life.、Mm. Why? Because it's so relatable. Yeah. Especially among people of color. On top of that, it's funny. Yeah. Because life is just one big, one big like sense of humor. It's funny there, and people laugh because that's the coping mechanism to avoid being depressed. And I think that's why like people really like Friday by Scoop because it's like, you know. You have a lot of these extreme characters, but let's be honest.、It's、there's just, always a little bit of truth in there, and it's just the day on the life.、Eh? Yeah, it's、like、an example、yeah. of like you know the New Zealand versions of Friday. Sione's wedding, right, right. <laughs> but even then, that was a bit, yeah, a bit extreme. Exactly, it's extreme because it's a, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah, and that's what people don't realize. It's a movie. Even straight out of Compton, a lot of it was fictionalized.、Hmm. Or you've heard of Big Meech? Have you ever heard of Big Meech? No,、like、what's that? Big Meech was as a like you know big drug dealer, and like um they are doing like a biopic series about him and like called Black Mafia Mafia Family, because like they were their own like you know gang,、mm. they're in their own gang and then they formed into like supporting a lot of like hip hop groups and everything and they put a big mark and like Big Meech is mentioned throughout a lot, but even the people who made the show they're like a lot of it's fictionalized. Why would they tell something like that's true to incriminate them in the movie? If you commit a crime, would you put that out in the movie? Hell no, because you're gonna get caught for it. Yeah, and that's what you call dry snitching. It's like 
and that's the thing with new rappers that I don't agree with dry snitching. It's like you don't like it when people snitch on you, but you're snitching on yourself and your own music. Yeah. And it's like, and then you're saying, oh, why did the cops arrest me? Why did the cops arrest me? It's like, bro, you fucking told it yourself. <laughs> it's like, there's this guy named uh, Tyon Wayne who did that. When he was 16, um, he was never caught for a crime he did. Mm. And then it was like, he killed two guys. And then it was like, he made the song when he was 16. Police reopened the case for these guys. He ended up getting arrested and doing like 22 years in jail. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no, not Tyon Wayne. Twain Gotti. Twain Gotti. Twain Gotti. Underground American guy. Yeah. Tyon Wayne's the UK guy. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because, you know, when I mentioned the in the way thing, I reckon it happened again in a small scale though with Drew Music. Because Drew Music started south of Chicago, right? Then it went to the UK. And then it sort of went down to Australia. You know, someone guys in, in, in Melbourne, the one four and all those guys got all those dudes. They blew up, eh? HP Boys. HP Boys. They blew up, eh? Like, with their own kind of style. And, and that reminded me of NWA. Like, how they blew up. Yeah. Like, NWA blew up gangster rap as a subculture to hip-hop from the East. And then, you know, another subculture of drill goes through UK. UK does their style. And then filters down to Melbourne. And then these Samoan dudes down there blow it up down there. And they're, and they're big, right? Their dynamic is similar to me with NWA starting something. So, yeah. then that tells me it can happen again. And uh, you see... And and it's uh, especially like you know prevalent with one four. Have you seen their most recent song, Commas? Uh, commas, I be counting commas. No, I'm not gonna attempt no, to sing that, but no. like, um, see, even with that, like, those guys, uh, those guys made a completely different song, and now they're starting to commercialize their music a little bit. Mm. Even HP Boys, everyone starts off with a controversy because they're spitting something a little bit more raw. That's why most artists, they always are a lot more raw in the beginning, but they're never as raw when they come to the light and become more famous because yeah. they have to now commercialize their stuff to make it appeal to a bigger variety of audience. And it's like, I've, I've even started to censor the stuff. Like, you know, 531PI, the radio show that I performed in, mm. you know, that had way different lyrics to it before. Oh, but you took all the swearing out and stuff. Took, yeah, and changed a few lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I figured out when I was hearing about commercialism was ruining hip hop, especially on the East Coast, especially with with Bad Boy. And I think with um, Notorious B.I.G. being in Bad Boy Records, he had he could pull it off, eh? It was commercial, but it wasn't at the same time. Even that, um, his first album. I was like, Suicidal Thoughts. It was yeah. one of the songs, Suicidal Thoughts. Suicidal Thoughts. When I die, I want. I fucking want to go to, <laughs> I want to go home. I'm a piece of shit. And it, I can't towels, <laughs> it don't make sense going to heaven with the goody goodies dressed in white when I like black Tims and black hoodies. Mm. They got me sleeping on some strict shit. No sleeping all day. No getting my dick licked. Crime after crime. It was like, it was like something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, I don't know the lyrics like word for word, but yeah. Ready to die is that one. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's ready to die. But see, that was controversial in itself, eh? Because you know he had that. It was interlude, but right, and it was just him having sex, you know. But you know that kind of stuff, you know, like. See, they did. Uh, yeah. They do that a lot in dancehall, mm. in Afro beats, mm. in Afro beats. But you know, all the chicks shake their ass to it. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like have have you ever heard like um, Vibes Cartel? No. So there's a guy in Jamaica named Vibes Cartel. 
Mm. He's known as the king of dancehall. This guy is locked up in prison for life because it's like um, for killing someone. But for some reason, they still let him do music in prison. Like he's not allowed, but they still do. Yeah. And he, and he reaches the top of the charts, releasing music videos and everything. From prison? Oh, oh hell yeah. It's like he just gets his boys. It's like, uh, even a local example of that is uh, Vigilante the Prophet. Mm. He went, but he, he was with Colorway Records. He's in that song, Put Your Colors On. I wouldn't even hear it. Put Your Colors On, Doesn't Matter. Where, where you coming from, homie? Don't matter where you coming from. Is he local? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he collabed with Young Sid. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's like and face killer and all that. And it's like uh so like Colorway Records, the Killer Bees guys. Yeah, he was he's locked up in prison in Porirua and he still releases music from prison. That was in the news. Oh right. Yeah. Like he made the song Prison Bars. If that was uh, famous in the news. And it's like, yeah, all he does is like record it in prison and then uh, get his boys on the outside to do a video to it. Mm. And even get someone like with a balaclava to stand in for him. Yeah. I wonder where his um his royalties go to back to his family, I guess. Who knows? Mm. Don't ask, don't tell, right? <laughs> <laughs> I still want to hear his music. I don't want to see him get locked up even more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think um another guy that comes to mind is that's went from underground to commercial is uh is Nas. Yeah. Because his first album that Illmanic. And that was classic, man. That's classic album. And then next minute, if I rule the world. <laughs> See, even with drill music, uh, have you heard Korean drill? Have you heard Arabic drill? Have you heard? No. It? They have drill music everywhere. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, um, it's just mostly prevalent in like UK now because UK did it best. But but you see how that genre developed? What UK did, because they used to have their own version of gangster rap called road rap. Where it was the road man who d- did that, you know, and then they had their own thing. And then when drill music came along, all they did was like, you know, get grime beats, sample and sample them with a drill tempo and just rap drill lyrics over it. Because like American drill sounds way different uh, than UK drill. Yeah. Because mm. they got different slang. Yeah. Different slang, everything yeah. like that. Mm. And then they started making drill trap and making their own genre out of it too. Mm. Depending on where you go, it's like even even like the drillers in Australia and the drillers in New Zealand, they sound those songs sound closer to hip hop beats. Right, yeah, but they've, they, been, they sampled. they've yeah. been sampled just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it's like even like the, the 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 one thing that I do find a little bit cringe is when New Zealand drillers try to. Like, I'm not a driller, but this is just I've done like drill songs though. It's like New Zealand drillers try to copy Australians. Like, did you see those? Like, I'm gonna get the dosh. What's goody? Oh yeah, yeah. See, but the uh, Australian ones they got their own slang. Oh, yeah. and it's it's. When you hear it, you know it's from Australia. But 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 everyone here is like, if you use the NZ slang, you're gonna sound hoary, and it's like, come on. It's like, would you prefer we do an American accent? Mm. Me personally, it's weird. It's like I have this thing people think I'm trying to put on an accent. I don't. I always thought I sounded Kiwi, and it was just like I don't hear it one bit. It's like okay. Yeah, that's just how you talk anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's funny because I had this conversation too with Dila. He came on. You know what I mean? The one ounce guy. Yep. Yeah. So he's. We were talking about the New Zealand accent and how it's. You're right. It's like it sounds funny, but you just we just gotta. Hey, that, that's how we talk. Just gotta do it. Eh? You can't change it. Yeah. Like I think um, David Dallas. He's. He, you can tell his New Zealand accent, but you know he doesn't change for nothing. You know he just 
Raps how you rap. And and also depends like which culture they come from and what their influences are. Mm. You'll see a lot of like the like earlier rappers in New Zealand, like Savage, De Hamo, they or even Young Sid. Like you know, everyone's saying those guys are trying to be Americans and all that. It's like no, it's just they influence stuff a lot, and then that comes out of the accent naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even like a lot of Brit- British rock stars, it's like you don't realize they're American. You don't realize they're not American until you hear them talk. Because mm. we're growing up with American hip hop, when we're singing along with it, when we're rapping along with the songs like Tupac or Biggie or whoever it is, like we're we're actually rapping in their accent because that's how it sounds to us. So we're we're doing the same thing, right? And it's also what flows to the beat better. Yeah. Sometimes you have to put different sounds on certain words to sound better with the beat. Mm. I mean, th- that's uh, part of everyday life, isn't it? So what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on uh, the New Zealand accent and hip-hop? I think if it works for you, do it. Yeah. But, you know, if it doesn't work for you, do your own thing. But, you know, do not copy other people's slangs unless there's a reason. You know what I mean? It's like I say nigga in my music all the time. That's because I am from Africa, and that's because I've been called that growing up here. Mm. Do you see what I mean? But if, if like, I'm not from there and I haven't been called that, I wouldn't use it. Okay, or it's like, um, yeah, it's just like that sort of thing. And I think as well, it's like, uh, even with the whole this whole accent thing, that sort of thing tends to be really selective too. Because they let certain people say certain words, but they don't let other people. Mm. It's like, do, do you notice how, like, you know, They'll let, like, you'll have, like, Polynesian rappers saying, don't say that, but then they say it themselves. <laughs> you, you, you know those? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no offense, I mean. <laughs> but, like, hmm. yeah. What's the hip-hop like in um, in Egypt? Is there artists there and stuff? Yeah. I recommend uh, Tamar Hosni, Marwan Pablo. There's a lot of re- MC Amin, Ghetto Pharaohs. Mm. Ahmed Al Fashawi. It's like there's a lot of good Egyptian hip hop artists, but even then, it sounds a little bit different too. See, Egyptian industry, it's like the Hollywood of Middle East and North Africa. Oh, so explain that. How, how, how does that work? It's like most of the famous songs and famous movies and famous media mm. within that kind of area comes from Egypt. So it's like when you know how you speak Arabic in that language, like in Egypt. Langu- language is also separated by different countries because they're still speaking Arabic. They have different dialects. Right. Because Egyptian media is very popular, everyone will know this guy's Egyptian if they speak. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I think it's harder for Egyptians to understand other Arabic dialects as opposed to the other way around. Right. It's like how, it's like how uh, Americans don't understand us when we speak, but we understand everything they're saying. Right, right. You know what I mean? Especially Kiwis. Because I think they say we talk too fast. Yeah, no, we we talk too fast. We put no stress in our vowels. Yeah. Even my dad, like, um, even my dad, like, English teacher, okay, he has trouble understanding the Kiwi accent, but he he can even understand the Aussie and American accent better than here. Oh, really? We just speak <laughs> way too fast. Yeah. It's like fish and chips. Karasagi <laughs> yeah. Bay. <laughs> Have you even have you reached out to the others back in back in Egypt since you're Egyptian too? Have you? I don't really limit, it, but I've tried and I've reached out to artists from like you know different cities. I've started smaller with different cities. I wouldn't mind reaching out to international artists. So if any international artist wants to collab, hit me up. Yeah. I'm always down. I should check 
I should check what's uh, what the percentages are for overseas. Mm. Yeah, because I know this goes around the world. Mm. So yeah, one of the things I've got uh, three music videos coming up. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so <clears throat> I'm gonna come forward. So uh, so are these with the same crew you use all the time? Nah, two of them are collabs. Th- one of them is just me. Mm. So I'm in the process of filming three music videos. I filmed most of it in Wellington, but I want to get the rest done in Auckland. Why Wellington? What's down there? Is it with a? I just like Wellington. All right, you go down there often. I mean, if I want to go on a holiday, I don't know. Anywhere out of Auckland is nice when you've grown up here. It's just like, if you've been somewhere long enough, you want to go somewhere else eventually. It's a lot more vibrant there. I, I prefer the hip-hop scene there. Like the artists there, you know, really out there, really pushing forward, really humble. I think the Wellington scene with hip-hop is really like a lot more open-minded than Auckland as well. Right. Well, what's wrong with the Auckland scene? Is it too spread out? Too many people? It's Too many of us, too many of them, and too everyone's out for their own. Not even, not even that. It's just, you know, you have the most, the most kind of artists in Auckland, the most kind of artists in Auckland. But I feel like the Auckland artists don't know how to tap into that and, you know, make something that's different. Everyone hates something that's different. When I did auto tune in my music, people hate auto tune. Okay, people say like, you know, I hate auto tune with a passion. It's talentless. People don't realize Autotune's been around since the 40s, and they've probably been listening to Autotune their entire life without realizing it. Like, you still have to be able to hold down a note for Autotune to work. You can't just sing like, like Ice JJ Fish and expect the Autotune to work, you know? Because the whole point of it was to make the voice into another instrument so the song doesn't lose emotion. Because, like, look, in the radio show I did, I sang that stuff live, but... Of course, I'm going to auto-tune it when I'm behind the studio because if you're behind the studio and you don't put a fix, they're going to be like, why are you behind the studio? You may as well perform live. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So the auto-tune stuff, is that going to be in the three new new video clips? Well, are, are these songs released in all audio already? or Just as audios instead of videos? Yeah. Hell yeah, I'm on Spotify. All right. So the, the videos you're going to make are from the songs that are already on, on Spotify? No, no. So, like, um, w- like as I release the videos, I also release the songs on Spotify too. So, like, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of songs. I've got a lot of old stuff in SoundCloud too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so how do you go through the the process of starting producing the a video clip? Like, how does it work for you? Is it an idea, or how does the idea I have, happen? I have the video clip. Okay, so, so the video clips. I have my usual guys that I work with, and I like to network. And I like to also see other creatives, see what kind of work they put out. I also try to put a budget on my videos because I feel like people do need to be paid for their craft. And that's one of the things I'm especially, I'm especially like, you know, iffy about. It's like, I do believe it's like if someone's going to put in a lot of work, they deserve to be paid. Because you used to always go, because when I was a compressor, I couldn't afford to do that, but I still used to have these videos because like people would do that stuff for cheap prices and everything because that was the culture around the time. But I feel like nowadays you need to actually pay these people to show like, you know, we appreciate your time. Even if it's not much, even if it's some compensation, they're doing it for the passion because they like your work. Usually if someone gives you over like something that's overpriced, it's because they don't want to work with you. You see what I mean? 
And yeah, it's like um, I have a small crew together. I storyboard. I tell them this is the kind of look that I go for. These are the influences that I want. And then we look for locations. We set up, you know, and we set up, okay, for this song, how are we going to portray this emotion? What am I going to wear? What is this? What is that? So yeah, it's just all a part of the process. And it comes also with the creation of the song too because how the song sounds can always affect the final video. So a good example is in one of my upcoming songs, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to buy the lease for the song. But I already made the song and did a video. Someone already bought the lease before me. So what, what does that mean, buy the lease for the song? So in order for you to release a song properly on Spotify and everything, because Spotify, technically, they give you views and then you get paid for it. The distribution companies and everything, right? But it's also, they're going to be like, did you pay this person? If not, you're going to be taken down for copyright. So that's what a lease is. If you don't buy it, you can at least buy the rights to use it. Like you, you can still record to it without buying it and you can still release it for non-profitable use. But then if you want to actually distribute it and do it for something that's actually profitable, even if it's not profitable now and profitable in the long run, you still need to buy a lease. Oh yeah, so it's just a one-off payment is it? to get the lease, to put all your stuff on there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, in this case, someone already bought the beat. Now when someone buys the beat, you can't get a lease to the song because the beat's theirs now. So what I did, I got my my mate um, who's a producer to remake the beat and do something else and it still works with the song and it still works with the video. Oh, okay, so just change the beat around. Yeah. Just add more stuff so it's not the original beat. So, mm. yeah. I always wondered how that works. Eh? Yeah, it's like um, if you, let's say, uh, put your stuff out, like YouTube can easily take something down for copyright and that's why you have to buy a lease. Right. Unless there's... But then again, there is such thing as royalty-free music. But if everyone can use royalty-free music, why do you want to use it kind of deal? Because it's like you want something... Original. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to have something original, in order to have something, you know, you can say put your heart into, you have to pay the money. Mm. I remember getting a a royalty-free bit of music for for one of the the podcasts we do, and it, it was fine until they changed it. I think the owner of that song changed the rules around. Someone mm. probably brought, bought the beat before you, bro. Because some things can be free mm. when you use it, but if someone buys it before you, like buys the whole thing, like because there's different licensing. Yeah. Let's say in this case of music, there's MP3, there's Wave, then there's like a flexible lease, which is like a couple hundred usually. And then there's, um, and this is an unlimited lease, meaning you can use it for whatever you want, basically. Mm. But in order to get the stems, you know you know how they have like stems and everything and all the instruments to make the beat and where it's placed and everything? And then you can even change the beat around if you buy it. All right. See, but like um, these are the kind of standard leases you can get. Usually if you're not like planning on changing the beat or doing anything, you don't really need to buy the beat. Right. Unless you want to be the only one who has it. But sometimes I don't want to be that greedy. Sometimes I just want to make my song. <laughs> uh, have you bought quite a few beats I mean yeah hmm. like either from my mates or from like streaming platforms oh, okay so the your mates that are beat makers they make beats and then they they sell it to you oh, okay yeah they, yeah if I like the song I'll buy it if I, it's like the way that I do it is 
I'm going to like, you know, download the song, record to it. If I like it, I'll buy it. If I don't, but then there's some beats where it's like, no, I'm going to use this one. I don't even have to record to it first to see if I can make a track. I'm taking that. Mm. So that's, that, that's a pretty good industry then, eh? If you're a, a beat maker, you know, you can. Yeah. Like beat making is where the money's at. Mm. Beat making and mixing. Like where you mix people's vocals and master and all that. That's where the money's at, really. Because mm. without that, you know, all your stuff is going to sound raw. It may not even sound as good. Because then the volumes are going to be like, you know, fluctuating when you play it out. Mm. So how, how many are there in in Auckland? I, I guess you got your your top guys and then you got the ones that are coming up. See, but, but that's the difference. Sometimes the independent beat makers are a lot better than the top quality guys. The only right. difference is the top quality guys have found themselves a customer basis where they can start selling at a price where it's like only certain people can buy. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's like, I have a lot of uh, friends who are underground beat makers, like underground producers. They know like how to make really good beats. And it's like, I like to work with underground artists. I even prefer to watch underground shows over famous shows because it's more raw talent. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's like, then again, you also have like, you know, big names performing too. Mm. Okay. So you've got your beat, you've, you've, you've got your song, you've got your location. Yeah. You got your storyboards. Yeah. Man, did you learn all this at school or something? Like, you know, yeah. like film school and that? Oh, you did go to film school. Yeah, I have a degree in film. I have a, so my major is film, my minor is dance because oh, nice. I've done dance as well. Oh, dance. Oh, okay. But, but, the, but the film, where, where, where did you study that? I started in high school. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I like this over like, let's say math and English and social studies. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And where did you do your, your higher learning? At? Uh, so I was in AUT for two years doing Bachelor of Communications. All oh, right. I kind of was. Is that a good course? Eh? Was that a good course? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I kind of wasn't feeling it. So that's when I went to Auckland Uni. Because the biggest issue with Bachelor of Communications at the time, their main thing is mostly public relations and journalism. And to get into film, there's a lot of competition. But right. there's not a lot of competition to get in. There's more opportunities in Auckland Uni to do film. Oh, how, how come is that? Why is that? Is Because it... communications, mm. it focuses on things like journalism, public right. relations, and then film if it's film and radio on the side. Whereas you have, you know, degrees that are strictly film when you go to Auckland Uni. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's more concentrated. More concentrated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also like South Seas. There's a lot of good film schools as well. Mm. I know South Seas. I've got a cousin that went there. SAE? To be a, to be a cameraman and he ended up being a lighting guy. Aye. <laughs> yeah. Light, see, lighting makes a lot of money too. Mm. Mm. People neglect lighting and film as well. Yeah. I had him on the, the podcast too, talking about his work. But he said, you know how they say last camera action? Those are the three main things when it comes to film. And you no know, one recognizes the lights part of it. It's like lights, <laughs> camera, you say sound speed, and then you press roll. <laughs> but the lights, yeah, man, that's a that's a big industry to get in there. Yeah. Lighting for film. See, one of the things that, that people um, fail, to, like, fail to realize is sound is more important than the visuals, though. That, that, that's why even the silent movies, when it started coming out in the 20s and all that, they still had a guy playing music over the movie, like in the audience, you know what I mean? Man, have you seen that movie, um, Babylon? Babylon, Babylon. 
it's a new one. It's uh, it didn't do well. It bombed, but it's got a great cast. But it's about um, when silent film crossed over to sound. No, um, the, there is one one uh, movie that is like that. Singing in the rain. Oh, okay, the old school one. Yeah, that one crossed into silent movies to ones with, when it came into sound. That mm. was funny because mm. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people like didn't realize you need to speak into the microphone. Mm. <laughs> and that's where like placement is very important like like even like lapel mics a lot of people don't know how to like not move and all that and it's just like <laughs> oh. and then they're like the shirt makes a lot of noise yeah. and then fucks up the audio yeah so you, you your passion was film but you got into music yeah so it was how did that happen because don't get me wrong I love the visuals and everything but you know, I've always loved music uh, right. when I was younger, but I wasn't as passionate about it. See, back then was when film was a hobby. So not when uh, rapping was a hobby in uni. That was just a hobby and I enjoy doing film. But now what I do is take the stuff I do from film and then go into music to express myself. Because like people who have no formal, tr- most people don't even have formal training in music. So you can't really call them official musicians. I'm not like a musician. I'm an artist. I'm an artist who does music because... Like, you know, it's like, you know how they say I'm not a rapper? I just spit. It's kind of like that. Because it's like, um, when, you do, when you've studied music and everything, that's a bit of a different story. That's where mostly producers come in, people who have studied music or people who are really just in the studio the whole time. But it's the performers and everything that really bring out the music. So I would say, like, you know, we're artists. I'm a, I'm a musician, but I'm an artist more than a musician. Because I also do film, I also do script writing, I also do directing. Like um, I've done, I've done a lot of short films as well, and I've done, even done a lot of acting. So I've explored different avenues too. Yeah, yeah. And oh, did you take part in the um, what's the forty-hour film? Forty-hour f- film festival. F- um, it's For- Furious Films, eh? Something like that. It's forty-eight hour. I mean, I've done the forty-eight hour film festival before. Like uh, quite a few times. Yeah. Helped out different teams and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I'll, I'll, yeah. I was in one of those, yeah. Which one? Because it was a while ago. You know, when I told you m- m- my cousin went to South Seas, what they had to do, do one. So I was like in, in their one. It was like a, a gangster short film. And I had to play a, de- a dead body. So, but it was, it was awkward because I always laughed when, when the camera came on me. And I think I nearly got fired there because I laughed like every single time, <laughs> and it took like maybe fifteen takes. Uh. <laughs> now there, there was one time I was acting in a South Seas project my, with my mate who also went to South Seas, and it was like I, I had to play this guy who was screaming, getting eaten by a couch. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the thing. Like um, when you're in front of the camera, you have to do a lot of ridiculous things sometimes mm-hmm. when you act, but it's like. That that's what performance is though, and you gotta have the stomach for performance because even how you perform is how you put yourself out. Let's say with Uncle Bully in uh, Once Were Warriors, he didn't want to do that role. And have you read the books of Once Were Warriors? No, I haven't. They have three different novels, right? Three different um, novels. They made a movie out of the first two, Once Were Warriors, and What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. It was originally like, take a guess who was the one who raped Gracie in that in the book? It wasn't Uncle Bully. Nah. Take a guess. Uh-huh. 
Come on. Was it brother? Come on. Who's the one bad guy in Once Warriors? Oh. Um. Cook me some eggs. Oh, the dad. Yeah, see? But you see, in the book, it's a lot different. Timmy Weir Morrison didn't actually want to do that role. So that's when Cliff Curtis did it. And he was just an upcoming actor at the time. And even many of his own people hated him because of how convincing that role was. So it's like, imagine imagine having to do a scene like that. I wouldn't have the stomach to do that. Because it's like, you know, people are going to look at you and be like, you did some pretty good acting there, bro. You know what I mean? So in the book, is it bad? Wow. Yeah, it's and like... Uh, it's Jake in the book. It's like hinted at, at the book. Oh. Like you see, um, I've read a little bit of a book the book but i also looked up and it was like you know how like once the warriors is like based in auckland or like south auckland and all that like in the book it's based in um this fictional town of pine block there's still a lot of differences there all right and it shows different sides and more complex to the characters but what happened was have you seen what becomes the brokenhearted see the guy who wrote the book alan duff he he didn't direct the first one the first person who directed it was someone who came from a film background and knew how to like tone it for the film audience because how, how it is in a book is always going to be different from a movie, right? What Alan Duff did was he decided to do the second one and direct the second movie. Himself. Yeah, and that's why it didn't become successful because he didn't know how to translate a book into a movie. Right, yeah. That's why there's always differences. It's like sometimes there's things in a book that you can't always put out in a movie because mm. it just doesn't make sense an example of that because i'm a big fan of um the godfather yeah i think that's the greatest movie of all time but if you read the book the the godfather book it yeah. reads differently to what you see on the in the movie yeah and they actually got um because it was mario puzo they wrote the book and then they got um uh francis ford couplets come in and make the movie well he hired um he got um the author Mario Puzo to come in and, and, and write the um, screenplay. Yeah. Because when you read the book, it reads like an encyclopedia mm. when it tells you the history of the family and what goes on. And if you watch the movie, it's they've cut parts out, but they've also rearranged the movie in such a way where it, it plays like a movie because when you read the book, it doesn't read like a movie. No, it doesn't. Uh, another example of that is like a more recent one, The Hunger Games. Right. See, in The Hunger Games, um, or even Game of Thrones. Yeah. But let's say with The Hunger Games, you know the dogs in the end that kill everyone? In the book, the dogs are actually the dead tributes. No. Did you know that? No. <laughs> you you finish film school, you get your degree, do you get straight into to mainstream media? Do you, get, do, you get in, do you work straight away in, in that field? Honestly, no. I mainly just relied on getting normal jobs to fund my stuff. It's kind of hard for me to get into the to the mainstream field because I don't feel like I have that creativity and I don't feel like I have that kind of network. And I think that's one of the biggest things. A lot of people know how to network really well. I feel like that's something I lacked when I was younger. Oh, okay. Mm. So did you realize that when you, like, you didn't get any work in the in the mainstream field? Pretty much. Oh, okay. But that's the thing. It's like I mainly just uh, got jobs and did my own thing because I saw there wasn't much opportunities for me out there, so I made my own. Mm. How about now? It seems like there's a lot of opportunities now 
with film and TV because you see a lot of it coming out now, especially with the the Pennsylvania's, especially the especially the um stuff that are coming out like the Panthers came on TV and Z Plus, and they've got the um the new movie that's out now. Like the movie's the um, the band, the Tongan band. I've got the name of it. Tongan band. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, but you see, even I know some of these people who do like a lot of these like uh, Maori shows and all that. You know, it's always people who are networked within their community. That's the thing that Polynesians of Samoan, Maori, and Tongan descent have over, like, people of my culture. You know, you guys have a long-standing history among your communities in New Zealand. And on top of that, you guys hold the most Polynesians in the West, New Zealand. Like, more than America, more than anyone else, right? Mm. Especially now, in Auckland. Oh, hell yeah. Now, now one of the biggest things in my culture very tight knit community one of the th- that's one of the biggest things i want to change with my music because mm. you know i want people to express themselves and one of the things they see when they do- when they see an egyptian is just like a mummy a pharaoh but it's like no we're human beings we have our own beliefs we're not strict we don't always have to be strict religious we're religious as well as mm. individual artists we have to express ourselves in our own way mm. so how big is the egyptian community here in Auckland? Not very big. Not very big. Yeah. Not like yeah, everyone knows each other. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you know you can't date. I can't really date within my own community because you know how when you date in the beginning, there's mm. still that bit of mystery. Mm. You can't really do that because like, <laughs> like you know you ask your mom, hey, who are you gonna see? Huda. Oh, I know her. What's her last oh, name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine if I'm like. In the in another country, and there's only a few Samoans that live there too. Yeah, it'll be the same kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So is it is the community real close knit? You guys all spread out, or no, in one like, area? Yeah, it's like main areas you'll find Egyptians, like you know North Shore and all that. Mm. But then everywhere else, you you'll, you'll meet one or two there, one or two there. Many of them like are friends with the Iraqi and Syrian communities or Lebanese communities that are a lot bigger. Right. There there may be a big Egyptian I think there's a huge Egyptian community in Australia, but not New Zealand. Oh, okay. Yeah. In 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 Egypt, is there like a lot of different um communities there too? You know, like, like the Polynesian community here is huge. You got Tongans, you got Samoans, you got New Orleans, you got all sorts. Is it similar in Egypt? Yeah, in Egypt you have like, you know, southern Egyptians, you have Nubians, you have Berbers. Oh right. Yeah. It's like different people who come from different racial racial heritages, but all part of Egypt. Mm. And you know how you're explaining how your music you want to bring everyone in the community. What what was that? What was that about? What um, were you trying to do? What was your goal? My goal kind of was like you know, people of like communities like mine, similar communities. It's always you know we're guys working in dairies, we're guys working as doctors. Not all of us do that though. Some of us are artists. Some of us are musicians. Mm. Who knows? Some of these guys are pieces of shit. But in the end of the day, it's like I like to see a variety of our people show themselves and see who they are. Because when you have, you can have like, let's say, you know, the Indian guy who you think is a smart guy, you think is this, think is that. But if they don't fit in with these stereotypes, even if they're positive stereotypes, they're looked at as less Indian, for example. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> or if you see like a black guy, yeah. if you see a black guy who's um, who's like, 
who doesn't talk in like jive and all these slangs, they're going to be like, you're not black. You're basically a white guy. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) see, and it's like, I don't like, that's one of the biggest things I don't like. Hmm. I was just categorizing them that one tiny category. Yeah. yeah. So uh, is is this important for you to, to get out there then with your music? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And, I know you you put one three five in your in your lyrics, but you know you also put your own culture in your lyrics too, which is good. Yeah, you know? and even things. Like I even grew up in Linfield. Mm. I always have that debate with people. It's like people say Linfield's not West Auckland, mm. and I'm like, okay, it's central technically, but it borders. You can walk from Linfield to the west. It's like where's Flatbush? Where where's yeah, where's Flatbush? It's like technically it's Otara, but that's where they draw the line when it when it goes yeah. to East Auckland. <laughs> For, I remember Linfield because two things. The first one was that I played basketball at school, and when we go to Linfield to play, to play you guys, all the boys were eager for that game because we you, always beat you. You were the hottest chicks there. Oh, yeah, yeah the hottest girls there at school. And then the second name, <laughs> and is that the second thing when you call it Skankfield? <laughs> I haven't heard that before. Yeah, that, that's what it's known for, Jim. Oh, okay, no, I never heard that. But yeah, we used to get, we used to love playing over there. And then feel because of the girls. The second thing was when I was older, and having those drink ups in the garages. Like the last, the last place to get any alcohol was going to be Linfield. When the the countdown used to be twenty four hours there. Used to be yeah. Yeah, so we was like after twelve because after eleven there's no alcohol shops around here. After eleven, so so Linfield was the only spot to go go yeah. and top up. <laughs> and now <laughs> it's like and now it's like you can't buy liquor after eleven p.m. Yeah, no, no I can't. Yeah. Yeah, but now you're in the hood now. Ah. Now you moved into the hood. Yeah, I love the food here. No complaints. Yeah, because yeah. I, I heard your lyric about the um, the the garlic chips in Swanson at the Ranui shops. Yo, <laughs> that got ram raided the other day. I saw. Fuck what? Uh, the shop next door, I think. Really? Yeah. That um, that sucks. Next to the takeaway. Doesn't surprise me though. A lot of people from Western Park Village and all that coming mm. around those areas. Yeah, that that stuff. But that stuff isn't new though. It's like there's always idiots out there. Mm. I think that's the thing about West Auckland. It's like it's got its like you know ghetto but bougie side as well. Yeah. yeah. South Auckland, it's like ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> East, I don't know. East Auckland, I think, is just a little bit weird. East Auckland's uh, weird. Eh? Yeah, it's like no shows like another country. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, you're right about West Auckland being got your bougie parts like uh like to the Rangi. Swanson Heights. Swanson Heights. You know, you drive past Ranui, go to the back of Swanson and gets you see more white people over there. <laughs> yep. And it's not even that far away, you know? It's not even that far. But but the only thing they we have over them is a the food. Yeah. Let's be honest. I love the chicken nibbles and like uh Lincoln Road. Mm. Those are on. There was a novel that came out about all the food places on Lincoln Road. And like all, 150 eateries and all that? Yeah, that, have you seen it? No, but like I, I know about the food places. Yeah, yeah. He Shucks. So, man, we should... Um, it's it's cool that um, you didn't actually move, move into the field you, you studied, but you use it to help you with your hobby now passion. Hell yeah. You know, <laughs> how would you do that? Would you go back and do that? Um, do like films and all that? Do it differently. Like, would you have taken music instead? Or 
Honestly, or, or if, it, sound. if it was me, I wouldn't have studied. Mm. I would have just got straight into this. Mm. And I would have just gotten full-time work. Because to, to be entirely honest with you, studying is cool, but people don't realize you don't study to get a job. Like, unless you're studying a trade. Mm. You study because you want to level up and be more knowledgeable. Okay, uni doesn't give you a job, it gives you an education. Now, you don't need formal education to be successful. And that's the one thing I didn't realize back then. Because back then, everyone's like, you should go to uni, you should go to uni. That was the thing, it was trendy. But, you know, really, who wants to be buried in student debt? Do you? Hell no. No, yeah, but because, you know, real education should be free. It's It shouldn't cost money to learn anything. Mm. But then again, people need teachers, so there are jobs. But I think now with technology and YouTube and all that, like it's they've got competition now. Yeah, universities and tech they've got competition now because you can just learn from from social media now. You know. See, and, and and that's the thing. You see a lot of really really good student projects from film students, and it's like, okay, you've made a real a lot of really good projects, but let's say you don't have that equipment with you. You have limited equipment. Maybe one camera, maybe one tripod, n- no sliders, no lights, nothing. Can you still pull off a good project then? And so that's what I do. It's like I've started with just recording off one camera, you know, limited equipment, small crew, and still managed to put out dope shit. Mm. Yeah. And what does that tell you? It can be done. <laughs> can be done. That's what creativity is. Mm. So it's like when someone says, you know, I'm an expert in film because I studied this. It's like, no, you're not. You could still be a shit filmmaker, but you could have more knowledge about filming because mm. it's supposed to give you an education, not a job. And it's like you learn skills. The skills that you learn depend on you. You know, with your, um, with, with learning film and that, who, who was your, like, did you have any big influences in Hollywood? Uh, uh, no, no. Sergio Leone. Right. Have you heard of him? He did a lot of westerns. Spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns, yeah. And I think his last movie, um, Once Upon a Time in America, mm. like got, it got chopped and changed, eh? Hollywood chopped and changed that movie and he got pissed you, off, eh? Do you know why? The Hayes Code. What was that? It was like a Christian code, basically, after World War, after like um, a certain war, I think it's World War Two, and it's like, you know, good must triumph over evil. The violence has to look stage played all of the stuff in order for it to be accepted because mm. otherwise it had to be censored if you send it to be released. Do you see what I mean? So what Sergio Leone did, he uh, went to like, you know, Spain, Italy, all these areas to make low budget Western films. That's how even Clint Eastwood got famous. Mm. Okay. He made low budget films and all that and avoided censorship and his talent was raw and shown through there. And he went through that extreme length or even let's say Alfred Hitchcock with the movie Psycho. Yeah, you know that stabbing scene, and he still managed to work around the censorship, where, where like you know the blood was actually chocolate. Oh, because it was black and white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you see what I mean? Mm. See, I like these kind of artists who, who like that's what raw talent is to me. Okay, I think nowadays a lot of directors get lazy and just focus on effects. Right. Like, that's why a lot of movies flop. It's just like it's cool effects, cool, but where's the story? Mm. Where's the acting? Where's the essence in it? And that's why I think like Steven Spielberg stuff it stands the test of time because mm. you watch his old ones it's like it would have been made today it would be still the same you know his um his directing is phenomenal it's yeah because I feel like the, these guys 
students study their work, and so you see their work come through with the new guys that come out, because there's mm. like the same kind of the same kind of shots and all that. Yep. Mm. But are you the type of filmmaker that loves to see shots, the love the original shot? Original shot. What do you mean? Like the camera angle, like original camera angle, how they convey a uh, a story with with the camera. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it's like I'm 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 been noticing small things in film that I think, man, how did they get that shot? You know, but people don't think about that kind of stuff. You know, they just they just watch the movie and that's it. Oh yeah. But sometimes I'm looking at it, like, shit, how did they what how did they put the camera there? You know? Yeah. For for, for example, there's a scene where a guy's lying in the car over the passenger and, and driver's seat. Mm. But the camera's got a bird's eye view on him. But the camera is in a position where it can't be that can't be where the the ceiling of the car is. So they must have cut the ceiling off so they could put the camera there. You know what I mean? Yeah, even, uh, most of the time, uh, like big films, they don't even keep the audio. They use something called ADR, where it's basically the atmospheric noises, they make it in the studio and put it there right. and replace the audio. Yeah. They got to do that because when you're on, on location, it's hard to capture the audio. Yes. And the boom mic is. So. Like, let's say the driving scenes, it's just a green screen with just like something to make to make it like the hair blow to make it look like you're driving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So some of them are obvious, eh? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I want to be the first guy to do this in your show, man. Uh, give me a beat. I'm going to freestyle. Where should I get the beat from? Oh, my phone. Have you got a beat on your phone? I mean, I could play something. Yeah. So sh- should we go go off old YouTube? Yeah. All right. Okay. You mind? As I, give, as I give me a topic as well. Talk about... Uh, we're still on podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold. It. Yeah, heretic. I'm getting demolished, but I never wanna reminisce. When you're getting envious out in the west, one three five, we the best. I would never risk the fact I don't interact. You can see the facts, the respect they lack, but they getting whack, and I'm getting the traction. How they getting that shit and that bad reaction? You know me, you're acting like cronies, but you can show me. You can try to isotope me, isolated away from the mosque. When I'm in two stories, and it's getting really hot, and I'm eating the curry Ramadan to try to munch me. Honestly. I'm getting really rushy when I'm smoking that weed, smoking that green, and drinking that Vilema sometimes in that scene, and I get it. One, three, five, you ain't dyslexic. We be not the South, and we get the credit. Ranui and Linfield, where you at? But I got the swag, ain't the nigga to brag. I'm the nigga to show it off with my actions. I can see what I have, the hobbies and reactions. I be standing, you be lagging. You know what I do when I'm smoking and you swagging and you having that shit. If you go and see whatever in the grill is missed, it's a concrete jungle. There ain't no trouble, but I live that shit. I'm dedicated to the struggle and it's trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Heretic. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Man. Sweet. And, and, just while, and just while we're at it, for the fans, um, I'm going to play out a snippet of a song just to... Uh, show you guys what I've got coming up next. All right. Okay. And what I've been doing, because I've been changing up my style. So 
much quite a bit and it's even talk this song is about the hood it's coming out asap i'm going to be collabing with another battle rapper his name is Camset. we've already done the video to it and we just got to film some more stuff but uh yeah we uh he's from Potirua. he talked about what it's like growing up in Potirua. i told i was talking about like you know linfield where where i was raised and everything so mm. hold on I'm, I'm, I'm gonna play the mastered version Okay. Mind if I play here? Yo, Camset. Shot for coming out to Wally to film. You're a real one, my nigga. And I'm sure, like, people can relate to this already. Mm. So tell me if you get the references. Sopranos fan? Eh? <laughs> you a Sopranos fan? Sopranos, oh yeah. TV series? <laughs> yeah. want to complete watching the series, but I'm almost done with it, so. Oh, all right. Cool, man. Herzog, man. Sharif. It was so nice to meet you, my G. Nice to meet you too, man. Good to have a chat to you. Maybe you can come back and we'll do this again. I'd love to. Mm. So, so where can everybody find you? Okay. Heretic, H-E-A-R-A-T-I-C-K. You can find me Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, you name it. All right, my man. All right, have a good day, Sweet. my dear. <laughs> yeah.